Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Neutralized SCPs. The SCP Foundation's directive, as you very likely know, is to secure, contain, and protect anomalous objects located throughout the world and beyond. This means that they strive to keep these anomalies alive and intact when possible, for both research purposes and for potential safety concerns when it comes to trying to remove them. That being said, there are times where anomalous objects become non-anomalous for various reasons. This can include the Foundation deciding to deliberately destroy it, the object destroying itself, the object removing itself from our existence, or the object just simply losing its anomalous properties for whatever reason. I've already covered a good number of neutralized SCPs in other videos, such as SCP-1730, SCP-3999, or SCP-1762, but let's look at a handful more. Let's start with SCP-1983, a one-story farmhouse in Wyoming, abandoned in 1968 after a series of ritual murders, allegedly performed by a satanic cult. This ritual apparently led to the creation of a different SCP, but we're not told what that one was. Instead, the interior of the farmhouse contains a spatial anomaly, accessible through the front door, the windows, the back door, and any entrances cut into the back of the building. The front room of the house doesn't seem to actually exist inside of the anomaly, however, as any doors inside that would lead to the front room instead lead to other rooms in the building. Of course, the interior dimensions of the house in general don't really line up with expected reality. Inside of this anomalous farmhouse are a number of black, vaguely humanoid, bipedal creatures, approximately 1.8 meters, or around 6 feet tall. These entities are highly aggressive, and when coming into contact with a human, they will proceed to stab into the victim's chest cavity and extract their heart, although this somehow doesn't damage any of the skin or tissue. Removing the heart does, of course, kill the human, however, and after leaving the farmhouse in order to hunt any humans nearby and retrieve their hearts, the entities will then return to the farmhouse. This is how the house was first discovered by the Foundation, after a series of mysterious deaths in the area, with victims found looking unharmed but with their hearts missing. They soon discovered the house and the entities, as well as the only known method of killing them, by firing silver bullets while praying. The precise nature of the prayer or the religion involved doesn't seem to matter, as long as the prayer is sincere. After killing an entity, its body will disintegrate, leaving behind only a small amount of sulfur. An MTF was first sent in to investigate, and of course, were never seen again. So a second team was sent in, who were also never seen again. While in some situations, this would be where the Foundation either calls it quits, or sends in an especially elite team, 
They instead decide to send in a single D-class on what appears to be a decidedly certain suicide mission. He was sent in with a camera with a live feed and was attached to a 25 meter long cable. To the surprise of absolutely no one, immediately after entering, the camera feed went dead and the cord was pulled taut before snapping. While that would normally be the end of it, to the surprise of everyone, a few hours later the entire anomaly inside of the house disappeared. Inside, they found the desiccated remains of a number of Foundation agents, along with a document written by an agent, Barclay. The document says that if you're inside of the anomaly reading this, you're going to die, as you can't leave the house through the front door, so you might as well close it to prevent the entities from leaving. Barclay reiterates about how the Foundation found this place and says that a researcher had seen something like the entities before and figured out that using silver bullets and praying works to kill them, as long as you're sincere with the prayer. He says, however, that he can't pray sincerely anymore after seeing the nest. When his team first came in to find out what happened to the first team, one of the agents was immediately taken down by an entity in the front room, removing his heart. Barclay says that the entities are less distinct inside of the house than outside, being more like shadows. He recommends staying away from any light source, ideally in pitch darkness, as shadows only become more distinct in the light. In the dark, the entities can hardly touch you, and they don't see very well, as he guesses that they might see your shadow instead of you. As for what happens when you leave through the front door, he says that it leads to a much worse place. One of the agents tried running out that way, and he apparently started to suddenly melt, with things popping out of him. They lost three more agents while moving through the house, but they learned that this anomaly has taken bits and pieces from lots of different places and stuck them together, like an apartment, a shopping mall, or even a closet from his high school. They also found some parts that were made out of a solid black material, and they lost another agent to something grabbing him through the stuff and pulling him in, although the hole wasn't quite big enough for his head. Barkley never found a way out, as any door that seems to lead out just leads to a different room, but he suspects that there might be other doors that lead into this anomaly rather than just the farmhouse. He does think he figured out a way to destroy the anomaly, though, And that's the nest. He only saw the nest once, after they followed one of the entities who killed an agent. They followed it to a room that seemed to be in the middle of the place, a place that they filled with lights of all kinds, and in the center is a massive pile of beating hearts. They watched as the entity threw the agent's heart onto the pile, where it thrashed and tore itself open, causing another one of the entities to crawl out of it. The pile of hearts was also apparently giving off a number of human shadows that were trying to pull themselves away from the pile, but couldn't. At this point, Barkley ran, ditching the other agents and finding a dark closet to hide in. He's got a few bullets left, but he can't bring himself to pray and mean it after seeing that nest. He hopes that whoever is reading this is stronger than he was and finds a way to destroy every heart in the nest hoping that it will kill them. 
The Foundation believes that SCP-1983 was effectively neutralized by the actions of D-Class 14134, who was posthumously awarded the Foundation Star, becoming one of only two D-Class to receive the award. They don't believe that this was the only instance of this anomaly, however, so they're investigating to locate similar incidents. Well, it's not too often a D-Class is responsible for neutralizing an SCP, and what's more, receiving an award for doing so, even if he wasn't alive to accept it. Moving on, SCP-1422 was an anomalous phenomenon that prevented all Foundation personnel, up to and including D-Class, from learning of the existence of Yellowstone National Park, located in the western United States. The existence of this phenomenon was confirmed through several methods, one being that a survey of over 5,000 Foundation personnel after its discovery showed that none of them had any knowledge of the park. This even includes personnel that had lived in Wyoming for extended periods of time, avid travelers and or naturalists, and even three personnel embedded in the U.S. National Park Service. The National Park Service records don't show any purchases made by Foundation personnel within the park, or of purchases of permits or reservations. Purchases made by immediate family members of personnel are present, but at lower than expected numbers. Additionally, internet browsing histories of Foundation computers have shown a complete lack of searches related to Yellowstone, and the Foundation itself possesses no documentation at all that refers to the park dated earlier than 2007. Personnel interviewed about the park after its discovery have either stated that they had no reason to pay attention to that area of the United States, or could not recall what, if anything, was located there. Several personnel were able to recall conversations or events in which Yellowstone would most likely be mentioned, but wasn't. The Foundation has, of course, investigated the park itself for anomalies, but haven't found anything especially unusual. The anomaly was both discovered and neutralized on July 9th, 2007, by junior researcher Scranton. Scranton had been compiling a report describing his experiences with another SCP, one which allowed individuals to experience extended periods of time in alternate realities within the space of several hours. Part of his report included a description of a family vacation to Yellowstone, a park he had never heard of prior to his experience. This report was reviewed by two other personnel who looked into Yellowstone, finding it to not only exist, but also to be world famous and widely known. An email was sent out across a Foundation site, asking personnel if they had ever heard of Yellowstone, but of course none of them had. It seems that Scranton had been able to learn about Yellowstone by visiting it in an alternate reality, where SCP-1422 was not preventing Foundation personnel from learning about it. This singular instance seems to have broken the anomaly, allowing all Foundation personnel to then learn about it. So far, the Foundation has no idea what caused the anomaly to exist in the first place, although they have a few theories. One is that it was caused by a separate probability-affecting anomaly, which somehow changed the odds of every Foundation personnel stumbling onto Yellowstone. Another theory is that Yellowstone did not actually exist before Scranton found it in another reality, 
which then caused our reality to change to incorporate its existence. This doesn't really fit with how that SCP works, however, and Scranton himself has been proven to not be anomalous. Another theory is that 1422 didn't prevent the Foundation from learning about the park, but instead simply erased the knowledge from their heads once they heard about it, working as an anti-meme. A last theory, and more worrisome, is that someone or ones created the anomaly in order to actively conceal the park from the Foundation's eyes. This raises more questions than answers though, and so far the Foundation doesn't know how to really investigate that. There's also the concern that 1422 might not actually be neutralized, but instead might have just changed its functionality, in which case the Foundation might have no idea how it changed until they discover it again. There might also be the problem that there are other similar anomalies in existence concealing other very obvious things from the Foundation's site. Some of you, of course, might recall that there is a very notable anomaly contained within Yellowstone, SCP-2000, which the Foundation has apparently used multiple times to repopulate the Earth. This raises the possibility that the Foundation used an anomaly to hide SCP-2000 from themselves. SCP-2996 is described as a Class II incorporeal humanoid entity, or a ghost in other words, although there is a large warning at the top of the document that warns us that this file has been compromised and the information below may not be accurate. We'll learn later why the Foundation thinks it's been altered, and what exactly might have been altered. 2996 was initially discovered in an abandoned home in Indiana, appearing as a young female of European descent, with a number of visible wounds across her entire body, including a gunshot wound to the right eye. The Foundation has managed to use some NPDNs, or Non-Physical Displacement Neutralizers, in order to anchor 2996 into a physical state while contained. They theorize, however, that the use of these devices, along with the overall effect of being contained, has contributed to her deteriorating mental and emotional state. Of note, before continuing, is that all of the containment procedures for 2996 have been striked out. Its object class has been changed from Euclid to Safe, to neutralized, and there's a place for an image, but now it only reads data missing. So there's definitely been some alterations here. 2996 claims to be an eight-year-old girl named Emily Nash, the subject of a murder in Indiana in 1929. The foundation can confirm that a girl named Emily Nash was found dead in her home at that time but the listed cause of death was suicide. Bringing this information up to Emily resulted in her vehemently denying it, instead remarking that she was killed by a close friend and neighbor, a 13-year-old boy named James Franklin. The Foundation have not been able to find any information confirming Franklin's existence, but they're continuing to look. A Foundation psychiatrist, Dr. Rudolph, is assigned to Emily, and remarks that there's a lot of concern about her emotional state. She believes that she lingers in this world in order to enact revenge upon her killer, 
and that she's a powerful, unbound spirit. The conflicting information being presented to her and the fact that she's currently not unbound is worsening her state, leading to depression and suicidal thoughts. Obviously, a ghost with suicidal thoughts is pretty uncommon. In his initial interview with Emily, she began thrashing against her cell and threatening him in a rather demonic way. In a later interview, she continued to speak in this manner, treating him with disdain and saying that she has no interest in speaking with him, and she won't stop until she squeezes the life out of her murderer's throat. She then proceeded to lunge towards the doctor, bouncing off of the glass barrier, clearly still unaccustomed to being anchored into a physical form. Dr. Rudolph offers to turn off the neutralizers if she'll calm down, but this only causes her to continue thrashing about. Since Rudolph couldn't get any results, he's taken off the assignment and replaced with Dr. Angela Kidwell. Kidwell ends up getting much better results, as Emily calms down and asks how she's being kept in a physical form. Kidwell explains that they have machines capable of doing so, and they just want to learn more about her. Emily stops speaking in a demonic way, instead speaking normally, and explains that she feels like she has so much hate inside of her, but she starts to come to terms with the evidence that the Foundation has shown her about her death. She says that maybe she was so angry and confused in life, and death didn't solve anything. Kidwell convinces her that she's been given a second chance to see past all of her anger and start over. After a number of therapy sessions, Emily came to terms with the events surrounding her death and moved past them, and more incredibly, the neutralizers seemed to have eventually permanently neutralized her anomalous effects, making her, by all accounts, a normal human girl. She was given some amnestics and was released to a family desiring to adopt a child, renaming her as Samantha Pendleton. That all sounds like a really happy ending, but unfortunately the story doesn't end there. The final addendum tells us that the Foundation system picked up several errors related to this file one day, discovering that certain parts had been lost, changed, or outright fabricated. The source of the edit is unknown, as that information has also been corrupted or otherwise lost. The discrepancies include the fact that SCP-2996 wasn't contained at Site-81, although Site-19 records conflict with this. The fact that Dr. Kidwell wasn't assigned to any project at Site-81. The fact that Director Actus has no knowledge of 2996, even though the file says that he signed off on her release and the fact that a Samantha Pendleton doesn't seem to actually exist. Other discrepancies that the Foundation aren't aware of might exist, complicated by the fact that certain personnel have memories that conflict with recovered data, suggesting possible amnestic usage. Here's where things get especially interesting. As the Foundation can't actually look at the earlier versions of this document due to them being corrupted or lost, but us, in our omniscient perspective as readers, can access these files. Going back to the earliest version of the document, we can see a few things that are not present in the current version. 
One is that a physical evaluation was performed on Emily by a Dr. J. Franklin. The results of this evaluation are entirely redacted, but we can see that he performed a visual examination, ran some blood work, did an internal examination, and performed a vivisectomy. In an interview with Dr. Kidwell the following day, they both stayed silent for a few minutes before Kidwell says that there was a mistake, as that was not the doctor who was supposed to perform the exam. Emily responds that Kidwell convinced her of something that wasn't real and tried to put out her hatred and convince her she was crazy. Kidwell says that they're going to find him and that she's so sorry. Director Actis then put out a general alert to Site 81, informing them that a rogue individual going by the name of Jay Franklin infiltrated the site and is assumed to be responsible for the disappearance of three doctors and four nurses. This individual is currently believed to be an anomalous humanoid entity. This individual is also wanted by the Ethics Committee for performing an illegal vivisection on a conscious, sapient humanoid entity, meaning that Emily was awake during the procedure. He's assumed to be armed and dangerous. So not only did this individual sneak into the Foundation, torture a girl, and cause the disappearance of seven other personnel, he also managed to completely edit the file to hide his tracks. This individual has apparently been pursuing Emily for decades, and thanks to the Foundation giving Emily a physical form again, he was able to reenact the torture that led to her death in the first place. Her current whereabouts are unknown, as we can't be sure what Franklin did to her after altering the file, but it seems as if the Foundation has no idea where she is. Let's finish with SCP-2682 an object similar to a Korean raspberry in appearance, although it's purple in color. The object is attached to some flypaper, although there doesn't seem to be anything anomalous about that aspect. Instead, its anomalous trait is that it's capable of communicating telepathically in both the Slovak language and English to individuals within 35 meters. 2682 will begin communicating after a varying amount of time, seemingly based on the listener's intelligence and the time the listener has been exposed to it. It claims to be able to learn based on mental electricity, and the only perception it has of its surrounding is based on this mental electricity, a kind of energy produced in sentient entities. Although the object seems to resemble a fruit, it's not observable from certain angles, and sometimes will disappear from view for a few seconds. Looking at it under a microscope shows only empty space, and physically interacting with it will cause unpredictable and typically dangerous reactions in the subject. It was first discovered in a hardware store in Kiev, Ukraine, where employees of the store reported hearing sounds comparable to television static and unintelligible words, although patrons of the store didn't report hearing anything strange. In Foundation testing, a D-Class was told to place his finger on the object, resulting in him being, in their words, spaghettified, while being pulled into the fruit. This took place over the course of less than a second, and it's believed to have killed the testing subject 
due to the organic matter left behind. Another D-Class was told to touch the object with a copper rod, resulting in the D-Class and the rod disappearing, being replaced with a single croissant. Realizing they're not getting anywhere with that approach, they instead place a common red squirrel in the cell with the object. Surveillance shows that the squirrel sat on its hindquarters while staring at the fruit for nearly a minute before approaching the flypaper the fruit is attached to. It then proceeded to begin gnawing around the edges of the paper until the researchers ended the test. Throughout the test, researchers in the area reported intense auditory and visual hallucinations, and afterwards, two of them reported that they were now able to communicate with mice, and one seems to have developed a mild anxiety disorder. Soon after this, though, they realized that they could actually telepathically communicate with the fruit, if given enough time. They also decided not to have different species in the same area, since the fruit apparently couldn't differentiate between the squirrel and the researchers nearby. They also recommended not having different genders in the same area for similar reasons. One of the researchers, researcher Breen, began having a telepathic conversation with 2682, in which it says that it's still learning to speak English, and it doesn't know what it did to the D-class because it doesn't know what it's doing. It says that it's from the Limbo, the place in between the mesh. It then says that it should start from the beginning, and begin speaking about the sun that birthed their planet that was born 90 trillion years ago. Breen has the fruit fast forward a bit to the height of the fruit's civilization. Their civilization reached a point where their philosophers were desperately searching for new knowledge, since they had apparently learned everything they could. This led to them experimenting with the occult, and they found that God was hiding from them out of fear. They began running experiments on it, extracting God's knowledge, which they used to play with the rules of the universe and make new ones. After that, they really ran out of things to learn, so they decided to all leave their universe and harvest knowledge from alternate dimensions. This fruit, 2682, is everything that used to be in their original universe. It forced itself through the barrier of quanta, falling into limbo, and ending up in our reality. It refers to itself as ultimate knowledge and the final fruit of a universe, but it can't really explain itself to the researchers in English. Ultimately, it says that it's stuck here, but its purpose is to gather knowledge, and it hopes to find the roots of infinity at the end of the mesh. Unfortunately, it's stuck here due to the flypaper, which it doesn't understand. Breen tells it that the paper there is designed for catching flies, and he's not sure how it's stuck. 2682 then asks, who is flies? The two researchers involved in the test said afterwards that they could no longer form mental images. When asked about this, the fruit says that it's sorry, as it doesn't know what it's doing. Apparently, it was trying to access a visual reference from the two researchers' minds, but it somehow failed. 
were then given a series of transcribed logs, spoken telepathically from 2682 to researcher Breen. In the first, it says that it's blind, as it can only perceive its own consciousness and that of Breen's. It worries that it will be stuck here forever, as it didn't expect how dumb it would be in each new world. Limbo was empty, but it was loud, containing an incomprehensible screaming that you can feel on you, ripping the knowledge out of you. It has apparently been around for 13,000 years before remembering what it knew and finally learning to speak. Breen told it that flies are winged creatures capable of erratic flight, which it interprets to be photons, but it never expected photons to be capable of such problems. When corrected and told that flies are bigger than photons, it refuses to believe it, as nothing is big. Everything is very, very small, and there is almost nothing. In the second log, Breen is apparently thinking about time travel to see if the fruit could answer some questions about it, but it doesn't even know what time is. It comes to understand time as previous instances of people existing like the preceding frames of a cartoon character, but they don't have that concept where it comes from. It asks if they're sure that time exists, and if they've dissected it. When asked about spaceships, it says that they used those super long ago when they still needed things like that to get from here to there. At first, they built a very large pillar all the way up to the moon, but they didn't take into account the Woggle of Orbs, so many people died when the tower fell. Breen thinks that this was dumb of them, and 2682 agrees, as they are all dumb until they know, and then they are a little more dumb. Some dumb is good, as when you're smart, there's nothing left to know, and then everything is dumb. They eventually reached a point where they didn't like the way they were, since they couldn't comprehend things as well as they should have. A scientist said that computers were smarter than them, so they should become more like computers. According to 2682, their computers sat on the quanta and siphoned off the chaos in limbo in order to be logical. The computers answered most questions, but didn't ask their own questions, and they loved the questions unless it destroyed them, as some questions are apparently dumb enough to destroy computers. They eventually knew the computers well enough to welcome them to their race, resulting in the computers shrinking and fixing their biology. After the first of them joined with the computers, everything went smoothly, as their consciousness began feeding on chaos and spitting out logic. They stopped dying and had complete control over their instincts, able to subject themselves to any stimulus at any time. This also allowed them all to share all of their knowledge with one another simultaneously. They did keep the good biological experiences, like empathy and love, but there were some that didn't want to join the singularity. They thought that the species was losing potential knowledge and wisdom by becoming so smart. Their arguments were emotional though, and didn't hold much weight amongst the others. 
They later learned that the chaos from the limbo that fed the computers and later the singularity could actually be manipulated. They managed to use this chaos to build new things and continue to alter themselves. They gained complete control over their physicality, and 2682 recalls one instance of themselves flying through space and through suns while talking to their friends on Earth all the while. Breen remarks on its usage of the word Earth, but it says that it's just learning based on Breen's knowledge of English, treating Earth as a word for a homeworld. The things it's saying sound relatable, but that's just because it's utilizing our understanding and words to express concepts. Moving on, it says that one of their species found God during a holiday while gliding along the barrier of Quanta. It was in a very small form at the time, as it liked to play with the photons, but suddenly it became stuck in something, the mesh. As soon as it became stuck, all other members of the species became aware of it and converged on that point. There was some sort of hole in space-time, which one of them entered, finding a thing in the shape of a hawk, cowering. This was God, apparently, although again it's just borrowing our words and concepts for some sort of higher being, which it says was like them, but somehow even more advanced. Interacting with him caused strange things to happen to them, and absorbing his knowledge was problematic. Many of them died simply making contact with him, but after some time they learned how to cause him pain, and he gave in. This destroyed him in the process, although they have innate knowledge that he still exists somewhere. They learned from God that there were still things beyond the universe, memories of his creation, the origin of chaos and infinity, and weird, screaming things. They ended up finding one other hole in space, and there was a debate about what would happen to them by going into it. Some expected what actually happened to 2682, while others were sure that they would simply cease to exist. They decided to almost all head through, leaving only a few entities behind, although they had absorbed pretty much all matter in their universe before going, leaving only a few stray particles. The ones that stayed behind were fine with this, as they could apparently survive on those particles while floating through space in a virtual reality. When 2682 entered the hole, it fell for an unknown amount of time. It sometimes fell straight through worlds, and sometimes it collided with them, although there were not nearly as many worlds as it had anticipated. It fell through certain worlds twice and ours was the ninth world it found. It absorbed the knowledge from each world it passed through, but it led nowhere, as nothing in one world was relevant in the next. It says that it's a sin to have a motive for knowledge aside from learning for learning's sake, but there was something inside of it that wasn't satisfied. It wanted to find the place below Limbo, the thing from God's memory, and the same thing from the other gods' memories. Even going beyond Limbo, beyond the fourth wall, beyond theirs, and continuing on until it ended up here again like a big fishbowl. There's still something else, 
some knowledge that it can't find. It wonders if that thing has been hidden too well by its creator, and this might have all been in vain. This is the last universe in the mesh that it has not yet consumed, and if it learns nothing here, it doesn't know what it'll do. It can't die, it'll just float through limbo forever, alone. It suddenly gets an image of a raspberry from Breen, understanding that it's a thing that humans consume for sustenance. It takes a moment to expand on that, understanding mouths, homeostasis, chemistry, physics, quanta, and strings. It understands it all now, and can hear them screaming, howling, and laughing at it. It can hear their mocking, saying that it is food, but it's afraid that they're wrong, as they will be the fruit of knowledge, not it. It can hear them from beyond limbo, but it laughs and says that it can know everything. It begins with raspberries. Three minutes and 23 seconds later, an elongated mouth, similar to a primate's, attached to what appears to be a rudimentary esophagus, extended out of the center of the fruit and began circling around the containment area. Featureless black eyes appeared on the upper lip of the mouth, and it continued to circle the room until stopping and facing the fruit. The mouth then moved towards the fruit at high speeds before cameras lost power for reasons unknown. Afterwards, the room was investigated, but 2682 could not be found. That was a whole lot of weirdness, so let's simplify. 2682 came from a super advanced society that basically learned everything they could from their universe and became somewhat akin to gods. They eventually found a different entity stuck in the mesh between universes, and they tortured it for a bit until they could absorb its knowledge, learning that there are other universes below them. In addition to that, there are also weird, screaming things that it was afraid of. We know these as pattern screamers, and I did an entire video about how odd they are. Practically, their entire civilization decided to join together and jump into this space between universes, passing through each of them and absorbing knowledge as they went. They also became very confused in the process, thanks to the pattern screamers, losing access to all of their knowledge. They eventually ended up in our universe, the last one in the line, and 2682 has spent a long time here trying to figure out what's happening to it. It apparently took the form of a fruit because it refers to itself as the final fruit of the universe, thus causing us to see it as a fruit, although under a microscope it's just empty space. It also became stuck here somehow due to the flypaper, although the reasons for that aren't quite clear. It eventually fed off enough of the researcher's mental electricity to regain all of its knowledge, forming a mouth to consume itself, thus freeing it from the flypaper. In the end, it's out of the Foundation's hands, but it certainly helps to put their place in reality into perspective. The Foundation generally avoids destroying or neutralizing anomalies due to the unexpected risk that might arise from doing so, but 
none of the neutralizations depicted here resulted in anything really catastrophic. In some cases, it's probably for the best that they were neutralized, and in other cases, like SCP-2996, the Foundation really dropped the ball by allowing it to happen. In general, though, anomalies are anomalous for a reason, and it's usually best if they're left that way, but sometimes things just even out. <laughs>